Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. I want to talk to you this morning about teaching your children the value of the Word. Now, this is, if you don't have any children, if you're single or if you're a young person, this is teaching you the value of the Word. But if you're a mom or a dad or a grandparent, this is about teaching your children the value of God's Word. Because we are in, as I continually hear from pastors across the country, a biblically illiterate society. And we have got to find an understanding and grasp the emergency of the hour in which we live to teach our children the Word of God. Last week we handed out a uh, about a six or seven page handout, which is a summary, a paragraph summary of every book of the Bible, Genesis through Revelation. I would encourage you to sit down and your children can learn this because they learn quicker than you do. I would encourage you to sit down so that your children can repeat to you what is the book of Genesis about, what is Nehemiah about, that they can tell you what that book is in essence about. They may not know everything about it, but they can know a fact about that book that defines what that book says, who the author is. And so it's a great tool that I encourage you to get and to use and to not just put it on a shelf or stick it in your Bible or forget about it, but to actually use it and transfer the concepts out of that into the lives of your children. Can you give your children a better world to live in? There's much doubt and much question about that today because of the economy and because of globalization and because of all that is happening in the world. There's a question if America can really, if we can really sustain where we've been because my generation is spending trillions of dollars in a matter of a few years what it took our parents a lifetime to earn. We are squandering the wealth of a previous generation on our excesses and our desires rather than investing in others or even in our own family. So the question is, Can you give your family a better life? I would submit that there is a yes and no answer to that. And there might be a maybe answer to that. Maybe you can give your kids a better life financially. Maybe you will not be able to. It may be that America will become such a taxed society that we're almost Marxist in our mentality and philosophy in that those who earn, the life is sucked out of them so that they don't have anything, so the ground is level and there's no incentive to ever try to do better. That's a possibility. If it's, will my kids have a better house than me? Will they have a better lifestyle with me? Will they have better health care? That depends. Can you give them a better lifestyle? I don't know. But I do know this. If you teach them the Word of God, you can give them a better life. Because there are people living that have little, that have better lives than many Americans do. Because they have learned that Christ is their only hope. 
And that may be exactly where God is taking us. God may be taking us to the realization that that Christ is our only hope, that he's the only one that we can look to. Jeremiah 9.23 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, nor a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him boast, boast of this, that he understands and knows me. Now, God gives us three warnings in Jeremiah 9.23, and we're going to be mostly in the book of Psalms today. But God gives us three warnings for ourselves and those we influence. Number one, don't trust in human wisdom. Don't trust in human wisdom. It is human wisdom that's gotten us in the shape we're in today. It is man thinking he can figure out and solve all of his problems on his own that's gotten us in the condition that we're in today. So you don't trust in human wisdom because the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. Secondly, you don't trust in your own might. You don't trust in your own might because you could lose that might, that strength, that ability to think, that ability to earn a living in a moment. Something could happen and you could lose the ability to control your own destiny. So don't trust in your own might. Then the third thing Jeremiah says is don't trust in riches. Well, that pretty much wipes out everything that the world is trusting in. And so we need to learn to trust in God. Now, here's the other thing we need to learn in light of those three things. Don't trust in human wisdom. Don't trust in your own might. Don't trust in riches. We need to learn and understand that not all philosophies of life are created equal. There are varying philosophies of life. There are varying worldviews. There's a Christian worldview. There's a humanistic worldview. There's a communist worldview. There's an atheistic worldview. There's an agnostic worldview. There's a philosophical worldview. There's also a postmodern worldview. So not all views are created equal. But every other view of life outside of the Christian worldview will tell you to trust in these things. Or to trust in somebody who will do these things for you. Only the word of God teaches us to trust in knowing God and understanding him. And so right living depends on right thinking. And if if I want my children and my grandchildren to think in right ways, I've got to live the right way so that they think in the right way. There are no shortcuts to spiritual thinking and to spiritual living. There must be surrender to lordship. There must be a soaking of our minds in the word of God and a sensitivity to the will of God. Now, what, what I'm going to say to you today, a lot of it is out of my experience, not so much as a parent, yes, as a parent, but 15 years of doing youth ministry and hearing every gamut of thought from parents over 15 years about why their kids went to camp, didn't go to camp, why their kids were in Disciple Now, didn't go to Disciple Now, why their kids did this, didn't do that. I had 15 years of hearing everything parents of teenagers could tell you. When I left Roswell Street, I had the fourth largest youth ministry in the Southern Baptist Convention. So I worked with a lot of kids. I've got 78 students in ministry today from 15 years in youth ministry. So I'm going to speak with a little bit of experience of what it takes and what you have to pour into your kids to see that they've got the best chance to succeed in life. 
I'm also going to speak from the standpoint of being a pastor and watching families that have dealt and struggled with issues within their own family life and watching families that have been successful in what they've done and and in their lifestyle and in their choices. And so I want to talk to you today and I want to ask you to tune in today to why it is so important for you to teach the Word of God to your children, to invest time in teaching them the Word of God because it is the one thing that they will learn that they will take to heaven with them. Whatever degree they get in college, they won't take that degree to heaven with them. But what they learn in the Word of God will help them along the way. You see, what we spend time in is what's important to us. There's an old saying that says, you aren't what you think you are, but what you think you are. Which surprises me that I didn't turn into a girl in middle school. Because that's all I thought about. You know, wouldn't it be something if your kid turned into an iPod one day, just, just, all of a sudden you got this big iPod in your house and you don't know what applications are on it. Paul said that we are to renew our minds. The writer of Proverbs says, as a man thinks, so is he. So I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 1, Psalm 1, and then we'll also look at Psalm 19, Psalm 1 and Psalm 19. I'll give you some other references along the way, but Psalm 1 about teaching them to meditate on the Word of God, a familiar psalm. It follows the book of Job, who is a man blameless and upright in fearing God. And in Psalm 1, it says, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, does he meditate day and night. I want you to circle the word meditate. He meditates on it day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. Three words that I want you to see here. First of all, stability, stability. When you teach your children to meditate on the Word of God. And when you meditate on the Word of God, you teach your children stability. They're not knocked about by every wind that comes along, by every opinion that floats through the air. They are stability like a tree planted. You see, a tree planted by rivers of water can have signs of life even in a drought because the roots go deep. So there must be stability. Secondly, firmly rooted firmly rooted, not only stable, but deep. We are not developing in our education system today, deep thinkers. As I said last week, there are more honor students in China than there are students in all of America. And we are dumbing down our students And we are not setting standards that we need to set for them because we want everybody to feel good about themselves rather than saying we need to invest in training the minds of young people lest they become second rate in this world economy and world system in which we live. So we have to be, there has to be depth, firmly rooted. Uh, uh, The great big trees, except for the sequoia, big trees have deep roots. 
Someone brought their son to C.H. Spurgeon and said, would like for my son to go through your college. How long does it take? And Spurgeon said, it takes four years. He said, well, you don't understand. He said, my son is very gifted. My son is, is brilliant. He excels in everything. And I think he could get through your college in less time than four years. And Spurgeon said to the man, do you want your son to be a squash or an oak tree? Because we can grow squash in months. But it takes years to grow an oak tree. Firmly planted. One of our problems is we are in a mindset as a culture that we cut corners. We want everything in sound bites. And God does not speak to us in sound bites. We need to be firmly planted. Colossians, just right by Psalm 1, Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceptions according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Now that word rooted there in Colossian is an agricultural term. And it means once for all having been rooted that we are not tumbleweeds that are moving from here to there. Warren Wiersbe made a great statement about this passage. He says, once we are rooted in Christ by faith, we have no reason to change soil. Get them rooted in Christ, rooted in the things of God. And then the third word, fruitfulness, yields its fruit in its season. So you've got stability You've got firmly rooted in depth, and then you've got fruitfulness or impact. That's where your children begin to make an impact. That's where they begin to have influence in this culture and in this world. That's where they begin to be soldiers for God and, and warriors for God. That's where they begin to be the great thinkers and have the great minds. One of the reasons why we send kids to Student Leadership University, and our daughter Erin was in the very first group that ever went to SOU, the very first SOU. And one of the reasons that we send students to Student Leadership University is because studies have shown for the kids that go through SOU, they get at least a 20-year jump on their peers because they learn time management, they learn how to think, they learn apologetics, they learn how to be leaders. And you and I need to understand that if we're going to have influence, we can't be in the back of the pack. We've got to be out front. Where are the great Christian statesmen today? We better raise them up. Where are the great Christian leaders today? We better raise them up. Lest we have a world full of anarchy and chaos. And so whatever we are rooted in, that's the fruit that we bring forth. Whatever we're rooted in, that's what's going to come out of our lives. You see, fruit is the outward expression of the inward nature. And whatever I am on the inside, that's the fruit that I bear. And so we talk about the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of lives and the fruit of souls and other things. But, but what the, the writer of Psalms is talking about here is there is a planning that brings a disposition and that disposition brings a disciplined life in a particular area. It can't be manufactured but it can be nurtured. Now, what I'm about to say is not a hard and fast principle. Uh, I have studied this passage over and over again. 
Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. That is not a promise. That's a principle. Proverbs is not a book of promises. Proverbs is a book of principles. And I've heard people say that don't pray or don't do anything else. Well, you train them up, and then they'll not depart from it. And then when their kid departs from it, they believe God's broken his promise. God has not broken his promise. The verse means simply this. Train up a child according to his bent, his personality, his character, his, his uh, mindset. Is he an introvert, an extrovert? Is he outgoing? Is it leadership or is it somebody that's a follower? You figure out the bent of your child and what they're good at, and you train them up in that way. The principle is if you train them up in that way, then they'll not depart from the way that you've trained them. You don't train every kid the same way. Alex is sitting down here with four of his kids, three of his kids. Wait, I'm sorry. I just adopted you into that family. Uh, His kids are all different. They're all different. They're different and unique, and they have to be trained in different and unique ways. My two girls are night and day different. Aaron loves a microphone and loves the stage. Haley loves to be behind the stage. We learned very quickly. Haley is not interested in being on the platform. In fact, from the time that she was this tall, when you'd bring me up on our anniversary to recognize our family, every Sunday on our anniversary, Haley say, do I have to go up there? And Aaron's going, do I look good enough to be up there? How do I look? <laughs> They're just different. And that's Okay. You know, the danger that teachers make with kids. You know, I had your older brother in class, and he was like this, and that kid lives in the shadow of an older brother instead of being who they are. When we train up a child in the way they should go, they'll not depart from it. here's Here's what I think you need to understand. What you model for your kids molds them. What you model for your kids molds them. And... What you do in excess, moderation, they will do in excess. I I see this far too often. I've got too many friends who are in Christian counseling that have seen this far too often. And so there has to be a pruning. And a pruning means that there are priorities We prune the things out that are not important. And and can I tell you that our culture teaches you as parents, and they're lying to you. Our culture teaches you to pander your children, not to prune them. And when you pander them, you just get spoiled brats that nobody wants to be around. When you prune them, you get children that can influence other children because somebody's going to do the influencing. And so I I would suggest that what you model, that's the mold you're building. He says, whatever he does, he prospers. And that's not the prosperity gospel. But what he's saying is, he's saying, "When when you're planted by a stream, you are growing a giant, not a pygmy. You're growing a, a tall tree, not a shrub. I'm in a conversation with a group of men right now uh, outside of this church about some leadership issues in our denomination. And I I can tell you something. We've lost some tall timber 
over the last 20 years in our denomination. And I'm afraid that we've got a bunch of shrub plants trying to step into the positions where giant oaks once stood. We need to be careful that we're not raising a generation of shrubs that will never get more than three feet high and not raising up giants for God. And so what, what brings all this to bear? Meditating, chewing on, pondering, thinking about the Word of God. We have little time to meditate in our culture. We, we've got noise everywhere. We've got CDs, MP3s, we've got radios, we've got satellite radio. We, we, we just got noise everywhere. We have little time to meditate. When I was in youth ministry, we used to have a quiet time on the bus. If we got on the bus, wherever we were going, if we were on choir tour or whatever we did, we got on the bus, we had a time either right after we left the church and went to the next place or as we were leaving for lunch, we had one hour on the bus. Nobody could listen to anything. They couldn't have a little, well, that was cassette players back then, but gosh, that dates me. Uh, Nobody could listen to anything. Nobody could read anything other than the Bible. You could not talk to the person in the bus seat next to you. If you did, you got to come up and sit by me. And then we got to talk for an hour about respect for authority. Nobody could talk on the bus. I said, you may fall asleep, but you're not going to talk. We don't have any quiet time in our family schedules today where we just turn everything off and we think and we communicate. They meditate on the Word of God. Number two, teach them to obey the Word. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19 in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So I want to give you seven reasons why you need to teach your children to obey the Word of God. And they're all right here in Psalm 19. Number one, because the Word of God is powerful. It is powerful. Restoring the soul. The writer of Hebrews says it's, the Word of God is like a two-edged sword. It's sharp. It's discerning. It can pierce through. The Word of God has great power in it. Secondly, it is plain. Making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. Some of you know what I'm about to talk about, but I I grew up with grandparents that did not have a college education, and one of them didn't even have a high school education. But he was wise. You see, we bought the lie that wisdom comes by putting a degree on your wall. But you can be a Ph.D. and be a thud and a dud. I'm not discounting education. I'm just telling you, wisdom is common sense applied through the grid of Scripture. 
that you can smell a rat when there's a rat, that you discern when somebody's not telling you the truth, that you have a conscience that is clean before the Word of God. It is making wise the simple. Number three, pleasing. The Word of God is pleasing. You teach them to obey the Word of God because it is rejoicing in the heart. It is rejoicing. It is joyful to do good and to obey God's Word. It is pure. The commandment of the Lord is pure. There's no mixture of evil. There's no mixed motives. God's not trying to hurt us. He's trying to help us to understand that everything that comes from him is unmixed, unadulterated, not watered down. The essence of what life is all about. Number five, it's permanent. It's permanent, enduring forever. It's not a fad. It's not limited by time and space and culture. The word of God applies anywhere to anybody at any time. And so this word from God is permanent. It's going to last. The only two things you're going to take to heaven with you are the souls of men and the word of God. The only two things that you can take to heaven with you are the souls of your children and the word of God. That's it. Your cars, your houses, your inheritance, none of that's going to go with you. But the souls of your children and of those that you've influenced for Christ... And the word of God you will take with you to heaven. It is permanent. It is precious, more desirable than gold. More desirable than gold. Sweeter than honey. 1 Peter 1.19 says his blood is precious. 1 Peter 1.4 says the word is precious. The word of God is precious. It's more desirable than gold. Now, I already know your answer because it'd be my first initial answer. If there was a stack of gold here valued at a million dollars and a Bible here and you had to choose one, which would you choose? Go for the gold. Always buy a Bible with it. The psalmist said, given the choice, I'd take the word of God. By the way, by the time they tax that million dollars worth of gold, you're only going to have $74 anyway. <laughs> so you might as well get the Bible. It's precious. And then lastly, it's preventative. By them, your servant is warned. By them, your servant is warned. Now, I want to ask you to turn to one more verse of Scripture. By them, your servant is warned. This is something I would encourage you to pray for your own life. And for the life of your children, it's found in the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy more than any book in the Bible. It's a good book on family. It's a good book on principles for living. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I would encourage you to pray this verse over your home. And to pray this verse over your children. And to pray this verse over your marriage. And to pray this verse over your role as a mom or a dad or as a single adult. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them. That they would fear me and keep all my commandments always. That it may be well with them and with their sons forever. Oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they'd fear God, and that it might be well with them and their sons, next generation 
after that generation. It might be well with them forever. Tom Elliff, who has been our guest here a number of times, and I were talking last night. And he was, he said, I, I just got to read you something. Just got to read you something. And he had this book. And there were notes inside this book, this journal, written by his great-grandfather, Jim Elliff. And they were notes about his testimony, about what had happened in his life. Jim had taken a young bride, and they had moved out into the Midwest. And she got pregnant with their first child. And she began to have complications. This is in 1869. This is four years after the Civil War. She began to have complications, and she said to Jim, who was a hard man, said, Jim, I don't want to die out here in the Midwest. I want to die at home around my family. And so he went to the man that he had bought land from and asked if he'd buy the farm back. And he had $3 and I think 69 cents left to buy a train ticket to go back to Tennessee to be with her family. And on that train ride, complications set in. And she realized she wasn't going to make it. She delivered a little baby boy. And in the last five minutes of her life, she said, Jim, I want you to promise me that you're going to give your heart to Jesus and that you're going to take my son and you're going to raise him to love Jesus. And Jim, as his wife was breathing her last breath, said, I'll do that. And the next Sunday, after he'd buried his wife earlier that week, the next Sunday, he walked into church with that baby in his arms. And he said, I've come to bring my baby boy and give him to Jesus and present him to Jesus for God to use him. And I've come to give my own heart to Jesus. And then it follows his testimony. And Tom is reading me this testimony. And he said, Michael... He said, that was my great-grandfather. That baby boy that was born was my granddaddy. And he said, today, great-grandfather, grandfather, Tom is a father, sons, and Tom has almost 20 grandchildren. He said, as of today, we have had 17 men in our family in the ministry because one woman said, you take this kid and you give him to Jesus. One woman is the result of a life well lived and a legacy left and a word being taught by 17 men around this country and overseas in mission fields that we can't even name because one woman said, I want my son to be taught the Word of God. Let me ask you a question. What will your legacy be? Tom sent me a text message this morning. Kind of shocked me. Hadn't thought about it. He said, Michael, I thought about our conversation last night. He said, I thought about what I told you. And he said, I realize that because you're adopted, you don't know what your legacy is. He said, so I'm encouraging you to write your own legacy 
that you can give to your girls and they can give to their children and they can give to their children so that you start a spiritual legacy with your life that carries on from generations to generations until the Lord comes back. I want to tell you, buy the biggest house in Albany. Have more money than anybody in this town, anybody in the state of Georgia. Be the richest man in the world, but you will never have a legacy any greater than your children have been raised to fear and know God and to honor Him. Because those kind of children will never bring shame to your family name. Others might. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.